the truly righteous, that is those who understand what righteousness truly is, and who are in right relationship with God by faith, prioritize eternal things and trust their Heavenly Father to provide for temporal things. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. If we want to, life gives us plenty of things about which to worry, doesn't it? A lot of things to worry about. Everything from very basic needs like food, clothing, and shelter to very serious matters involving the whole world. Lots of things to worry about if we choose to. You know, just uh, recently here, I know that that some of you, this might be a, a new thing for you, but others of us, it's not so new. It takes us back a while, several decades now. But some of us who have been around here for a little longer, remember remember the threat of nuclear war? Remember what that was like growing up in the age of nuclear war, wondering, could this happen, right? Well, we haven't really had to think about that for a very long time now, have we? And now all of a sudden, it's out there. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And I'm definitely not saying we should worry about it, okay? I don't think we should worry about anything. But here is this specter looming on the horizon out there again, something that we haven't thought of for decades. So the fact is, is there are many things that can cause us to worry, to be anxious, to be fretful. But God's word tells us, though, if we are following Jesus and we are entrusting ourselves to him, if we are living for eternal things rather than temporal things, and we are trusting him to provide for us, we don't need to worry. Now, it does not mean that we don't have concerns about things. It does not mean that we don't take precautions. It does not mean that we don't make plans and be prepared for things. In fact, quite the op- In fact, that's one of the reasons why when we're faithfully following Christ, we don't need to worry is because we are being sure to do those things that we can do and should do. But in the end, though, ultimately we're trusting whom? We're trusting God. And we don't need to worry. So today, then, as we're continuing in our series here on the life of Christ, then, we're in this section here of the Gospels dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, which has this overall arching theme of true righteousness. What does true righteousness look like? What does it do? How do where, what is it from the inside? What does it do? How does it speak? How does it act? We've seen moral righteousness then. It's goodness. It's holiness. It's God's perfection in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. So in that definition of righteousness, God's perfection in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. How many of us in this room right here, right now, are by practice righteous? Not, not a one of us, right? But you know, Scripture says one day we will be that in every thought, attitude, word, and deed. We will be perfectly righteous. And in another sense of the word, Scripture says right now we are perfectly righteous through our union with Christ. And that's our hope then. So true righteousness, it's a, it's a quality 
of moral perfection of holiness from within that is then expressed outwardly in our deeds. But as Jesus was preaching this sermon, he was talking to people who had a very different understanding of righteousness because from them, they they thought righteousness, according to their religious leaders, the Pharisees, righteousness was more about this outward show and outward conformity to certain things, but while actually neglecting the heart and the spirit of the law. There was no inner purity of heart. The Pharisees were known for pride and self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, man-made rules and regulations. Other than that, they were pretty righteous people, though, right? But Jesus says, no, real righteousness. It's a perfect conformity to the law of God, starting from within in the heart, which then results in an outward conformity to the law of God. And it begins, it comes, only when we humbly admit our insufficiency and our unrighteousness. And in fact, as Scripture makes clear, righteousness is not something we can attain ourselves. It is a gift. It's a gift of God, and it's received by faith. So as we continue in this series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're looking at what he says in this Sermon on the Mount, dealing with this topic then today. He said we are using this resource by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life, which does a wonderful job of harmonizing the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus into one flowing chronological account. So we'll be using that to guide us through our series here then. Today then, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, true righteousness and mundane things. Now what do we mean when we say mundane things? Mundane doesn't mean unimportant. Sometimes we may take it. Mundane means those things that are related to this life in this world. Mundane, earthly things as opposed to heavenly things. Or we might even say temporal things, now things, as opposed to everlasting, eternal things then. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And here is the key thought that I want us to take away from our message here today. It is the truly righteous, that is those who understand what righteousness truly is, and who are in right relationship with God by faith, the truly righteous then prioritize eternal things, prioritize eternal things, and trust their heavenly Father to provide for temporal things. You know, it's been said, there's this expression, though, that sometimes, that, have you ever heard this expression, someone is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good, Right? Well, that can be true sometimes, right? Some folks, their, their heads are so off in the clouds on eternal things that they're of no earthly good. But I would suggest to you the reality is quite different. When someone is truly heavenly-minded, they are of enormous earthly good, aren't they? And it might be said, though, on the other hand, you know what, maybe some people are so earthly-minded, no he- they are no, of no heavenly good, Right? It can work the other way, too. So we want to have a right priority and a right perspective on our life and the things of this world 
It doesn't mean we're not concerned about the things of this life. We are. It just means that there is a proper priority, that we're thinking in eternal things, eternal values and priorities. And when it comes to the things of this life, the mundane things, we're trusting God, who is a heavenly Father. We're trusting Him to provide for us and to care for us in these things while taking action, which we'll see that too. But we prioritize the eternal. We trust our Heavenly Father for the temporal things. So before we look at our text here then today, today is the fourth of six messages exploring Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've seen that in this that, that God requires absolute perfection, and we are incapable of that in ourselves, and that's why we need a Savior. This sermon ultimately points us to our need for a Savior. Jesus has shown us that we must not imitate the twisted teachings or the hypocritical deeds of the Pharisees. And now he is speaking to our, our values and our priorities, that we must have ultimate concern for heavenly things as opposed to worrying about earthly things. That our priority should be ultimately a concern, a holy passion even, for heavenly things. And choosing not to worry then about earthly things. How many of you know that that worry is a choice, isn't it? Now worry is something that arises quite naturally in us, doesn't it? We don't have to conjure it up. It, can, it just tends to come up naturally, right? But what we do with it, that's a choice, isn't it? And so Jesus tells us to set our minds on heavenly things and not to worry then about earthly things. Let's look then, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. This first section here, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So our first point here is I want us to see is that the truly righteous pursue eternal riches. Truly righteous pursue eternal riches. Did you know that God wants you to be rich? Now don't worry, before you start wondering, uh uh-oh, we're going to have to start looking for a new pastor. Is he going to start teaching us that prosperity gospel stuff? That God wants us all to be rich, right? No, I'm not talking about that. 
I'm not saying God wants us all to be rich and that we all have a big mansion and a Mercedes in the driveway and all that. I'm not talking about that kind of riches. I'm talking about the true riches, spiritual, eternal riches, being in right relationship with God, being rich toward God and rich toward others, pleasing to God, and building eternal riches in heaven. God wants you to be rich in that regard. He wants you and me to pursue eternal riches, that is, those things which are pleasing to him and will be rewarded forever. And so the truly righteous then, we're not to concern ourselves with pursuing riches, earthly riches here and now. Now, does this mean then that God wants us all to be poor and dressed in rags and not having our need? No, he's not talking about that either, right? But he's saying, well, God will provide for our needs, those things. But rather than pursuing those things, making it the focus of our lives, our priority should be pursuing eternal riches, the true riches, that which is pleasing to him and results in heavenly reward. So the Pharisees had a different attitude toward wealth than that. See, the the Pharisees believed that God materially blessed all the people that he loved. Hmm. You know, there's an old expression, there's nothing new under the sun. Where have we heard that? I think that's somewhere in Scripture, isn't it? There's nothing new under the sun, right, in Ecclesiastes. And that the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? And so oftentimes when you will see false teachings, false understandings, it's been around for a long, long time, right? And so you might say the Pharisees in some way almost had kind of a prosperity gospel mentality about themselves, that they believed that if you were righteous, the way they defined it, that, that God was pleased with you and God would bless you materially. And as such, they were very focused on and concerned on with accumulating material riches, material gain. And they thought that somehow that was, that was an indication that God loved them more than others. So they were intent on building great treasures on earth. But as Jesus says, what all of the treasures that we gain here on earth, well, they are subject to decay, aren't they? They don't last. Moths destroy fine, elegant clothing. So, we're, so don't lay up treasures you know, on earth here where what? Moths destroy... Well, one of the, one of the signs of, of wealth in that culture, that society... It was very nice. For some people, the most valuable thing that they owned were the clothes. In fact, for Jesus, what was the only, what was the only earthly treasure Jesus had? The clothes on his back, right? And so there were some, then they were accumulating clothes, nice clothes. And he says, you know what? The moths will eventually destroy those clothes. Or even other kinds. Rust destroys metal. Thieves can break in and steal your material goods. So if you want to devote your, your life to accumulating stuff, first of all, it decays. It can be stolen from you. And also, by the way, you can't take it with you, can you? 
What's the old line? You never see a U-Haul on the back of a hearse, right? You can't take it with you. There's also something we'd say. This is going to be, we talk some more about this on another occasion. But, you know, the, isn't it funny, though, too, that the more that we pursue these things, the less and less satisfying it becomes to us, and we just need more and more and more stuff? How about the folks that they think that the answer to all their problems and, and real happiness could be if they could just win the lottery? So they're going out buying these lottery tickets, and finally somebody hits the big jackpot. Maybe they get hundreds of millions of dollars. And how many times do we see these stories of these folks? They do that, and they think, oh, great. And we're all just, and so many people are just secretly envious, or even not so secretly envious of them, right? But then you follow up with them a little while later, and guess what? That's so happy. It didn't solve all their problems. Maybe it created a whole host of new problems. And in fact, oftentimes, you find out what? They're broke. They blew it all, right? It's hard to believe. Isn't that something that you could blow that much money and end up somehow broke? And yet it happens all the time, doesn't it? Or if we think, look at the people in this world you think who have it all. And how many of them are just miserable? It's an illusion. Earthly treasures are an illusion. This doesn't mean we don't have needs. Jesus is going to talk about that. We do have needs. But this pursuit of it is an illusion. They decay. They can be stolen from us. And ultimately, you can't take it with you. So don't pursue earthly riches. Jesus says, I, I, want you, I want you to pursue riches, but not earthly riches. Pursue heavenly treasure. Treasures in heaven. Because treasures deposited in heaven can never be lost. They won't rot. They won't rust. They can't be stolen. And they are the very definition of taking it with you, aren't they? So what are these treasures then? So if instead of pursuing the world's stuff, pursue the true riches, what are the true riches? Well, the true riches are those things which are honoring to God and pleasing to God, pursuing those things. It speaks to our character and what we do. It speaks to acts of obedience that are pleasing to God. And that these things result in heavenly reward. Those are the true riches. So when we trust God, when we obey God, we're laying up treasures in heaven. These treasures are righteous character and righteous conduct. Good deeds that honor God. And serve people. You know, our good deeds, our good deeds can't save us, can they? It's only the good deed of Jesus Christ and what he did for us that saves us, and our faith in him and in that that saves us. But scripture also says that God has made us, He has made you, He has made me, He has created us to do good deeds that honor Him, even before 
the foundation of the world. God already knew you and loved you and had purposes and plans for your life. Good things for you to do that would honor him. And so when we're pursuing those things, those are the true riches that will last forever. So these treasures then, it's righteous character, it's righteous conduct, it's good deeds, it's loving people and serving people, it's being faithful to God's call on our lives. Do you know that God has a call on your life? He has plans for you. Ever heard somebody say, I've got plans for you, right? God has plans for you and me. It is proclaiming the gospel, being faithful to God's word, being faithful to God's truth. It is proclaiming the gospel, the good news. It is edifying or building up people in the faith. These things are the gold and the silver and the precious stones, which God will remember and reward. Jesus says something that sounds a little strange to us. I wonder, what did he mean by this here? He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think what he's saying is this. You see, the, the Pharisees had a problem with money because their spiritual eyes were diseased. That is, with their eyes, they were doing what? They were coveting things. They were coveting money and wealth. They were coveting what they saw. So their eyes were bad. They were covetous. And so then, they were in spiritual darkness. And how great is that darkness? When, what our, when our eyes are coveting, it's darkness then within us. And how great is that darkness? It fills us with darkness. But if your eye is good, if your eyes are right, that is our values are right, it brings light and goodness. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He'll hate the one, love the other, be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. See, they were slaves. They were slaves to their master, which was greed. They were slaves to their master, greed. And their desire then for money and things was so great that they were failing then in their service to the true master, who is God. He says, you can't serve two masters, God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word that just means wealth or property. Stuff, sometimes just translated money. But it's more than just money. It's not just cash. It's just this whole pursuit of wealth and property and stuff. It's a materialism. You can't be going after all of that and be going after God wholeheartedly at the same time, can you? It's impossible. So Jesus is saying that we must live then contentedly with whatever we have, because we've chosen that which is eternal and lasting. Here was a challenging question here, I thought, in the uh, Life Application Study Bible on this verse had a a quote or a, a study note on this I found good. I'd like to share it with you. It says, 
Can you honestly say that God, and not money, is your master? One test is to ask yourself, which one occupies more of your thoughts, time, and effort? Ah, see, that's the test, right? Somebody say, oh, I'm not, I'm not serving. I know I can't serve God and mammon. I can't serve God and money. Why? Well, I serve God. I'm not preoccupied with money, material things. I serve God. Okay. You think that? I hope that's true for us. I hope it's true of me. But here's the, here's the real test then. What? Which one occupies more of your thoughts, time, and effort? That's the real test, isn't it? Which one? What do you find yourself thinking about more of? Investing your time and your effort into? That's the test. But, but I have needs, you say. I have needs. We all have needs. I have to think about these things. I can't just be thinking about God all the time and what God wants of me. I, I, I have to go to work. I've got to pay the bills. I've got to put food on the table. By the way, do you think that's news to God that you have bills and that you have to put food on your table? or? He knows we have these needs, right? So he's saying, look, pursue the true riches, the things that are pleasing to him, righteous character, righteous conduct, good deeds that honor him. Those are the true riches. Well, well, well how am I going to provide for my needs then if I'm, if I'm busy pouring out myself for others all the time or... Focusing on my character. Well, God knows I have needs. God knows you have needs. So we shouldn't worry about those things then. It says what? Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How many of you know that's true? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
You got enough to be thinking about today. Don't be thinking about and worrying about tomorrow. So the truly righteous then, the truly righteous pursue eternal riches and they also then trust God to provide for temporal needs. Pursuing eternal riches doesn't mean we don't think about etern- about mundane things, earthly things. We, we must. But we trust God in those things. See, if a person is occupied with the things of God, the true master, how will he care for the things of this world? Food, clothing, shelter. Well, in short, we care for those things by trusting God in them and not worrying about it. See, the Pharisees in their pursuit of material things, they never learned to live by faith. And so Jesus told them and tells us then not to worry about these things because life is much more important than just these temporary, immediate, physical needs, mundane things, the things of this life. He cites some examples from nature then to his point then that we must trust God, our Heavenly Father. What Jesus does here, sometimes it's been called an argument from the lesser to the greater. He gives some examples, some lesser truths, that that if, if this is true on this level, well then how much more so on this level, from the lesser to the greater? If God cares for the birds, then how much more so does he care for you? If God clothes the lilies of the field, how much more so will he clothe you? The birds of the air are fed by their heavenly Father. The lilies of the field grow in such a way that their splendor is even greater than Solomon and all his wealth and clothes he could buy. So Jesus is saying then that God has built into his creation the means by which all things are cared for. Now, the birds aren't lazy, right? They go about, but they're cared for. God cares for them. The birds are fed because they diligently work to maintain their lives. They don't worry about it, but day by day, their needs are met. You know, I was thinking about this. God meets our needs sometimes in different ways, doesn't he? Including, you know, sometimes it's through the the direct efforts that we make. But again, even the efforts we make, we do that because God has given us the strength and the ability to do those things, right? But sometimes our needs are met through the giving or the caring or the generosity of others. But whether it was through, well, I did this or someone gave that to me, ultimately it comes what? That's God caring for us, right? And when I think about God caring for the birds, I mean, their needs, I also have some birds in my yard. In fact, I have some friendly backyard buddies. I refer to them as the, the squirrels. How many of you like squirrels? Some of you think squirrels are just like they're, they're, well, I know technically they're rodents, right? But they're not rats. They're cute, right? They're too cute, right? And I know they can do some nasty things, you know, like with that. And I get that. But that said, you know what? I love seeing them out in my backyard, right? And in fact, and this is the wisdom of this I'm still debating, but a a few years back, I installed a a squirrel feeder there, right? (laughs) 
So not only feed mice, I think I, sque- I, I feed the squirrels in half the neighborhood, actually, because you know, it's not just mine that live in the tree in the backyard there. It's ones from, they're, they're coming from the neighbor's yards. I see them bounding in, you know, all that, because they know it's there. In fact, actually, so I had this one squirrel feeder that eventually they destroyed. How many of you know squirrels will eventually destroy whatever you put out there for them, right? <laughs> so anyway, so... I got a new one. A, a man in this congregation who's really handy with building some things here. And he put together this. Here you go. Here's a squirrel feeder that's really cool. That makes it a little bit more of a challenge for the squirrels than the, the old one I had. But it's not too much of a challenge for them. But it's fun to watch them, you know, with how they do that and how they get to the food. So I'll put like the, the, the squirrel. Actually, okay, I'm going to admit, I don't actually buy that expensive squirrel feed. I'd go broke, you know, trying to do that because they go there. But I, put, I just put bird seed. That's good enough, right? I get the birds. I put the bird seed in there and they have that. So anyway, but I love watching them out there and doing that and pursuing. And then the, the, the birds, of course, come too, and, and they, they eat that well as well. I think, you know, God is... No, God didn't provide for them. I did. I bought that. I put that out there. Well, you know what? If something happened to me, and I wasn't able to do that anymore, do you think those birds and squirrels are all going to starve to death? No, they'd be cared for. God is caring for them. And yes, he's using me as part of the way that he's caring for those particular birds, those particular squirrels in my backyard. God cares for his creation. And if he cares for them, well then how much more so does he care for you, who is so much more valuable than birds? So why do you worry about that? Why do I worry about this? Why do you worry about clothing, food, shelter? God knows you need those things. That doesn't mean be lazy and sit back and just say, okay, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to miracle it all into my life. Although how many of you know sometimes God does miracle things into your life that you need, right? He does. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's a miracle of God to provide this out of nothing. There it is. But sometimes... It's our efforts, and it's God using other people in our life. All of these ways, God cares for us. So we shouldn't worry about these things, but rather we should trust God's provision for us. So instead of worrying about this, our focus should be on something else, not getting what we need. Again, doesn't mean we don't think about it. It means what? We don't worry about it. We don't focus on that. Instead, we focus on, well, Jesus tells us, what do we focus on? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is, we're focused on the things of heaven, the things that are pleasing to God, the things we do that are pleasing to him, our character, his righteousness. Because worrying, actually worrying serves no good purpose. You know, it occurs three times here, three times Jesus says, do not worry. Like these notes, again, that, that life application study, but I like what it says on this verse. It says, because of the ill effects of worry, Jesus tells us not to worry about those needs that God promises to supply. Worry may damage your health, disrupt your productivity, negatively affect the way you treat others, and reduce your ability to trust in God. So here is the difference between worry and genuine concern. By the way, 
worrying doesn't mean we don't have concerns. And I know some of it can be kind of a fine line there, right? We're told not to worry. That doesn't mean we don't have concerns. So what's the difference? What's the difference between worry and genuine concern? I like what it says here. Here's the difference between worry and genuine concern. Worry immobilizes, but concern moves you to action. Right? Worry, it immobilizes, and we're freaking out. Concern, with trust in God, moves us to take action. So what does it mean then to, make, to pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, it means to put God first in your life. To fill your thoughts with his desires. To take his character for your pattern. And to serve and obey him in everything. What is really important to you? People, objects, goals, and other desires all compete for priority. Any of these can quickly bump God out of first place if you don't actively choose to give him first place in every area of your life. That's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God gets first place in everything. So don't be worried about tomorrow because Jesus very accurately says there's enough trouble for today, right? Life in this fallen world brings trouble, doesn't it? There's enough to think about today. You don't need to start thinking about tomorrow's trouble. Focus on today. So he says, planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. Planning is good. Worrying is wasteful. Sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference. That careful planning is thinking ahead about goals, steps, and schedules, and trusting in God's guidance. When done well, planning can alleviate worry. Worriers, by contrast, are consumed by fear and find it difficult to trust God. They let their plans interfere with their relationship with God Don't let worries about tomorrow affect your relationship with God today. So the temporal versus the eternal. The temporal means what? The things now, things in time, things right now, versus eternal is the things that are forever. Does it make sense to focus on the temporal at the expense of the eternal? That makes no sense whatsoever, does it? And yet we do that, don't we? Why? Because it takes eyes of faith to see the eternal. And that's why Scripture tells us, that's why God wants us and why he values faith so much. It's through the eyes of faith that we understand the overwhelming superiority of the eternal versus the temporal here and now. But it makes no sense to invest our lives in that which is passing away. It makes perfect sense to invest our lives in that which lasts forever. You know, as I said that, I'm reminded of of that well-known quote by a a missionary, Jim Elliott, who was a martyr for the faith. But one of the things that he wrote in his journal 
uh, one day was uh, talking about people saying, Jim, how can you do that? Think all the things that you are giving up to go live as a missionary and, and, and go to this, this hard, hard field where you're going to be serving there. Man, you're just giving up so much, right? And how many of us, if we're going to be honest, might think something like that? Boy, think about everything you're giving up to go, go live on the mission field and do what he did. Think about all he's going to gain. There you go, right. You're anticipating exactly what he said. Because you know what he said? He wrote in his journal then to that, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All right? In fact, who's the fool? The fool is the one who keeps what he cannot keep and loses then what he could never lose. Live for the eternal, not the temporal. Replace worry with faith. Worry means to divide, to tear, to rip apart, to pull us in opposite directions. So to be anxious then, scriptural, it means, scripture, it means to be torn apart by our circumstances. That's what worry does. It's tearing us apart thinking about this stuff, isn't it? On the other hand, concern is a legitimate emotion. It helps us to focus on real problems. But godly concern motivates us. It provides energy, spiritual energy, to respond with godly solutions to problems. But worry serves no purpose. What is the antidote to worry? Faith. Faith is trust. It's personal reliance on on the Lord, so there's an element of, there's a personal relationship with God of trusting God's character. Faith is trust, personal reliance on the Lord, and it's belief. It is affirming that which God says is true. It's agreeing with God about what is true and what is important and what is valuable and believing that he will fulfill what he has promised to do. Faith. Trust in God, God's character, affirming what he says is true, trusting his promises. So Jesus here, he calls worriers people of little faith. Do we have any worriers here? You don't have to raise your hand, all right? If you want to, you can. You don't have to. Well, Jesus would say, you know what? You just might, you might be, what, what, what was there a comedian some years ago? You might be a redneck if or something like that, right? Well, Jesus said, you know what? You might be a person of little faith if, right? So little faith. Jesus calls warriors people of little faith. And so we see this term, little faith. It's used five times in the Gospel of Matthew. And in each instance... It's indicating a lacking of some kind on the part of the disciple. Now, understand this. Little faith is not unbelief. Little faith is not outright unbelief, okay? It just means little faith is, well, you have faith, but uh, you need to grow. It's little. It needs to get big, right? So little faith is, is real faith. It's just what? It's immature faith. It's lacking in some way. It needs to grow. So Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. It's a lack of understanding. It needs to grow. 
And it's revealed in our circumstances. We may think, oh, I'm a person of faith. Oh, yeah, I have great faith. And then your circumstances change. Ah, you're still a person of great faith? Circumstances reveal our faith and the level of our faith, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Less world, more Jesus, did you say? Yeah. So this little faith here is what? It's doubting God's power, and it's a lack of understanding about God's desire to provide for his children. It's a failure to understand the magnitude of our value to God and the extent of his providential care. That's the little faith here. Doubting God's power. Lacking in our understanding of God's desire to provide. Failure to understand the magnitude of our value to God and the extent of his providential care for us. When we do that, that's little faith. God wants us to have great faith. So what? The truly righteous prioritize eternal things. And trust their Heavenly Father to provide for temporal things. So I want to close with just two things. I want two two exhortations for you here. Here's the first one. I want you to get rich. But I want you to get truly rich. I want to get rich. But I want to be truly rich. Rich toward God. Rich in those things that are pleasing to Him. And then... Don't worry. Don't worry, be happy. You know what? I think I'm going to write a song. That would be a great song, wouldn't it? Don't worry, be happy. Yeah. I'll get a lot of mo- I'll make a lot of money off that, won't I, if I do that? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something to go wrong probably though. Yeah. Get truly rich. And don't worry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for This time we've had to study your word. I pray that your spirit would take what we have heard here today and apply it individually to each one of us in our own hearts. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the concerns that we have. And I pray, Lord, Lord, your word doesn't tell us not to have concerns. We can't not have concerns. But it does tell us not to worry So I pray then, Father, that we would prioritize that which lasts forever, eternal things. That we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That we would make it our overarching desire of our lives to please you, to pursue the things that honor you, to build treasure in heaven, and then not to worry about our lives here but to trust you trust you to provide as you will when you will thank you Lord that we are no fools to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose may we not worry may we trust you and Lord may we all get rich (laughs) rich in the things of heaven and we pray this in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.